Homestyle Green, episode 122. Sustainable Architecture with Elena Michael from Second Eden Studio. G'day and welcome back to another episode of Homestyle Green. This is the podcast all about inspiring people to make a better place to live. This time I'm speaking with Elena Michael from North Carolina, who's got a great little studio doing graphic design and sustainable architecture. And she's got a great story. I really um, love people who are just getting out there and doing it and offering these services and starting to attract people uh, on that basis of sustainability. People coming and saying, yep, I want some of that for a healthier, more efficient home. She's got some great tips as well about identify ways to identify what it is you actually want in a house. And that's something that I'm thinking a lot about recently is, is it's enough to say, oh, build a house that reflects you and um, make it yours. But how do you actually do that? How do you know what you like and, and what you don't like rather than just uh, taking what's available? Also, uh, before we get into the interview, uh, I'd like to thank uh, Proclimber, who are fantastic supporters of this show. They help bring it to you every week. And Proclimber, as I've mentioned previously, are the people to see if you are at all interested in a high-performance home. And you should be, because if you want to build something that's healthy and energy-efficient and comfortable, then you need good insulation, good orientation, and you need it to be airtight. You need it to be airtight so that you have control over the... Um, flow of air it's not about being in a hermetically sealed box it's about having good control and the people at proclimber are very good at helping you out with that so check them out proclimber.com now on with today's episode i started out by asking elena how she got into sustainable architecture well, without giving away too much of my age, um, I I was going to school for my undergraduate studies in architecture with a minor in art. Um, uh, back in the days when there were only three, and yes, you've heard me correctly, three master's degree programs or postgraduate study programs that delved into sustainability. Um, three one of them, across is that across the states? Across all of the United States, the wow. continental United States. So a mere three, and this was, uh, I was looking at graduation in 2003. Um, really? So That's not e that long ago. Thank you. Yes, it's <laughs> not too bad. <laughs> but, and in terms of, but in terms of that sustainability market as well, only, only three um, programs back uh, less than, you know, just yeah. over 10 years ago. That is, that is absolutely correct. Um, and it became apparent that I was to look overseas for a program that was not in its infancy, that was established. And as well, you, we are finding out with our time difference right now, um, it was far more convenient to go to England than it was New Zealand or Australia. Um, yeah. And, of course, people from Minnesota never go to Canada if they can uh, – they can avoid it <laughs> mm -hmm. due to uh, hockey rivalry. Right. Fair so, enough. yes. So um, England was looking very appealing to me. And um, I applied to the Oxford School of Architecture, Oxford Brookes University. And um, much to my delight, I was accepted. And I, I went out there for my program. Um, as sustainability was more established there yeah. um, and 
part L in the building codes or building regulations, depending on what side of the pond you're on, uh, were in their infancy, but growing fast, quickly, and becoming a government regulation, it was apparent that the best place for me to stay was in England. So my son and I, who at the time was five years old when I graduated um, Oxford, um, we decided to move to Southampton, where I, I worked at a couple of practices there. Uh, and dare I say, we became very homesick for America. And my parents had uh, moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, which is, well, you can imagine, the weather is ever so nice. Mm. Um, we were so envious of them <laughs> and the nice, lovely weather whenever we'd visit. So we came home in the heart of a, in a recession that I know has affected New Zealand as well um, in 2009. And um, because I had this niche sustainability, which was so new in America and continues to be actually, um, we, I delved right into starting my own business. Um, it seemed a bit silly to be pulled in so many different directions from many different people when I could just go into business for myself and uh, sure a future for my son and I. Was that must have still been daunting in 2009. Everyone's um, defaulting on mortgages, uh, the real estate market's dead, and you start an architectural practice. It was um, certainly very daring. Uh, it hasn't been without uh, struggle, certainly. I have, um, to make ends meet, have subcontracted myself out to other practices mm -hmm. Um who don't have their own in-house sustainability expert. Right. Uh, that made it um, possible to put my foot in many doors. Um, in addition to doing interviews like this um, in England uh, and Canada and in the United States, um, in addition to uh, guest speaking at colleges and universities and even in elementary school, other professionals, um, so having this particular niche talent, fortunately, has kept us afloat. And now that the economy is picking up, um, it's it's even easier than it was before to get into doors because people are more willing to spend the money to green up. Yeah, yeah. So when you've worked for other people um, or or just consulting around sustainability, what's the driver there for people? Why does why does someone pay money? for you to talk to them about sustainability? Well, in England, um, as well as it is in New Zealand, it, they had to pay you. <laughs> yeah. So Sustainability is a requirement. <laughs> so this is coming back to the, the, the part, for people that aren't familiar with Part L, what, what is that briefly? Um, part L are the building regulations that have a ceiling for your carbon output and your energy consumption. Right. So there's a pretty um, strong drive right there. Indeed it is. And I would go as far as to say that um, it, the regulations in the United States are four times worse. Um, people liked the idea of sustainability until it had to be put into uh, some sort of practical use. Um, yeah. So they, lo they loved the idea that I could come in and give suggestions and it made them look good. These other practices that made um, their clients feel excited about the potential. But unfortunately, it's still very difficult outside of entrepreneurs to get um, private businesses and developers to invest in sustainability, even though they don't see the overall outcome um, and possibilities for savings in the future, not only environmentally, but economically. 
do you help paint that picture about the uh, return on investment? I certainly do. Um, and we do do math, <laughs> yeah. despite my earlier comment. Um, fortunately, it is simple algebra if you know it well enough. Um, and, and being able to show people the figures and the numbers, um, people are simply hesitant uh, because it's, it's new. As well, you know, anything new in the building industry causes um, a bit of alarm, no matter what continent you're on. Yeah. So, but it's getting better. Does that is that enough that that the math is it? If can you do a calculation and is that enough to convince someone of? I mean, what are we talking about? Improving insulation, uh, more air tightness. What the the sort of measures that you might advise for someone? Um, what, That's exactly what, right. We you and I know that improving your thermal envelope is paramount. It is number one of what you should do. And uh, people who don't know a lot about sustainability, especially Americans, like the glamorous and sexy idea of photovoltaics on their roof or a wind turbine in their parking lot, because that uh, makes them look green. It makes them appeal to their clients and to their customers. Um, But you know, being a sustainability expert, in, sometimes they want you to be a yes person. Isn't this good enough to do this? Well, it's as well you know, it's not enough. Um, you have to have the thermal envelope to match. You have to have the right climate for um, certain types of photovoltaic applications and certainly the right roof pitch. And some areas aren't very windy. Why would we put a wind turbine there? Uh-huh. So it's it's a lot easier to sell these glamorous alternative technologies than it is that which is most important, which is beefing up your envelope first. Right. And is that a hard sell? Because it's not as sexy as a wind turbine or, or solar panels. <laughs> no, we don't, thankfully, have too much winter in North Carolina. Um, it, it is a hard sell. It is a hard sell for people in the private industry. Um, I don't know how much you know about Charlotte, but we have a lot of people in the banking and financing industry. Um, of course, their appeal is sustainability looking good to their clients and customers. Um, we have a, a lot of private development companies who are interested in looking good to their future buyers. Uh, the people who are most excited and the people who approach me to build or refurbish an, a space, um, those are uh, entrepreneurs. Those are individuals, mostly individuals who are excited about sustainability and uh, keyed up and aware of what's actually happening globally to our planet. Um, Those are the clients that I'm most excited about. And those are the clients that I don't need to preach to the choir. We're just getting it done and finding the most appropriate solutions. Yeah. And also you make a point that it doesn't have to cost more to improve your thermal envelope. What are are some of the, the strategies that people can use to keep costs down and still have a good envelope? Well, um, you would be surprised to know that um, two by fours are the minimum requirement for your external building envelope. Mm-hmm. So that's a two by four with gypsum board, your two by four with insulation between your studs. And um, of course your exterior sheathing, your OSB uh, or plywood, and then your exterior uh, finish. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is the bare minimum requirement. Um, 
uh, encouraging people to, at the very least, uh, maximize up to a two by six for their exterior and adding um, internal constant insulation in, in, in terms of a phone core with a really great U value mm -hmm. um, is, is about as far as I can get people to go. But as well, you can imagine, it's twice the improvement of the uh, local building regulations that are required in the state of North Carolina. That's usually where we start. And like I said, it's not very glamorous, but it's very necessary. So twice the improvement as, a, as an outcome, but doesn't it have to be twice the cost? Um, it, not necessarily. What I typically encourage people who are building from scratch, and this is what I'm giving an application for or an example for, I encourage us to slightly reduce our square footage. Now, you might have heard the term McMansion um, yeah. tossed around in terms of American housing. Oh, um, look, we're, we're up there. I think we're, we compete with this uh, number two and number three slot with Australia for uh, floor, floor area on houses. I didn't want to say. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say. We're close behind. Um, yeah, so if we, I encourage my clients to reduce their square footage, um, don't expend your ceiling beyond 10 feet. Um, you you find that money. In fact, you find quite a bit of it. Um, new houses are stretching up to 3,000 square feet at, yeah. at the moment in the United States. And if I can even talk my customer down to 2,500 and just have smarter, more efficient spaces, more comfortable living spaces um, that are arranged and organized in a more inviting way, that money is right there. It's right there. Because mm. typically I'm imagining... If the, the other trend uh, is at all similar to the rest of the world, the number of people inside those houses is actually decreasing as well. That is absolutely correct. Um, our family, we're of Italian origin, so we are <laughs> not like most Americans. We um, live up to the stereotype of having multi-generational in our homes. Um, but yes, other Americans do not live with their parents. Uh, they don't have aunties and uncles living with them. It is um, urban sprawl at, at the scariest. Uh, mm. For example, just about a quarter of a mile from my house, there used to be a lovely little forest, but now it's being torn down and um, there's going to be a strip mall put there. So there won't be any apartments above that strip mall. It will be one level, and you'll be looking at a good three acres of just parking. Mm. It is rather shocking. Um, how do you feel about stuff like that? I get very upset, and I use a few choice words. Um, thankfully, my son is a teenager now and not terribly offended by them or affected. Um, it, and it breaks my heart because I feel – I know that America is – is a beautiful place with beautiful people who are very proud of our patriotism. And if they were aware of, if most Americans were aware of um, the damage we're doing to the planet due to our desired lifestyle, um, I know people would change. Is that part of your original inspiration? You go back to looking through those three courses that were available and thinking I might have to go somewhere else. Why were you different in that way? What what was it that inspired you to go down the sustainability path in the first place? I was so fortunate, and I shouldn't say fortunate, I was blessed to have 
two fantastic instructors at the University of Minnesota, Minneapolis, who were um, uh, not American citizens um, originally. Mm. They were born elsewhere and came to the United States. Yeah. Uh, they, of course, uh, one being from um, Norway and the other being from India, they were very keyed up on sustainability because they had to be. And I was fortunate enough to be in one of their studio classes, and I gravitated towards it. I, I fell immediately in love with it. Um, I hadn't realized all along that I was a budding environmentalist, mm-hmm. um, a person who didn't like to waste, who had grandparents who grew up in the Depression and then during wartime. Um, so raised in such a way between my parents and my grandparents that we waste nothing. Uh, and the uh, possibility for wasting, not only wasting nothing, but contributing back to the planet that serves us so incredibly well um, is is undeniable and unavoidable. And now when you have a country where there's three programs for graduate studies that focus on sustainability and um, you have dozens in the United Kingdom and growing, uh, it became apparent to me that eventually America was going to follow suit. Yeah. This was a good place to be. So you saw, you saw what was coming. I did. I I saw what was coming and uh, I'll be honest, we're still a good 10 years behind the United Kingdom, uh, 20 years behind the likes of Japan and Sweden. Um, but we will get there. We most certainly will get there, especially with the president having um, having broached the subject of uh, of world security uh, due to uh, climate change this past week. Uh, more people are paying more attention, which is very good. Yeah, and on the plus side, I see a lot happening in uh, the world of solar solar panels, and I know we. I agree that it's probably the uh, one of the last things you want to do if you really truly. Uh, building a sustainable design, but it, it's still a good option. It's becoming more and more uh, viable for a lot of uh, states around um, the US uh, with some very attractive pricing now on solar PV. It is. It's it's fantastic. And um, fortunately, uh, people who sell photovoltaics and ther- solar thermal, um, they're very good about making sure that clients or customers know that there are some fantastic tax rebates. Yeah. I'm all for photovoltaic. I, I um, am investigating that on my house now. Cool. Um, and I, I'm very much looking forward to it. I, Hopefully, we'll be at a point where England is, and I'm not sure where New Zealand and Australia are, but um, my mother-in-law back in England, um, I think, paid 10% for her um, solar thermal panels uh, because there's government grants, and she's over the age of, hopefully, she won't be upset with me for saying this, but over 60. Mm -hmm. So she was able to get substantial amounts of money, um, and I really think that's probably the only way to encourage Americans to move in that direction right now is to continue to throw money at them. Of course, with the grants run out so darn quickly that um, I believe the grants are available on average annually, but um, they are soaked up and eaten up so fast that I believe that they're spoken for within three months of being released wow. annually. So there's certainly a need there, but with the economy still improving, I think it'll be a good five to 10 years before it becomes commonplace. Mm. Um, there's a couple of things I want to ask you before, before we finish up. First of all, what's the intersection of graphics and 
architecture? Why, why uh, is graphics part of Second Eden Studio? Well, um, graphic design was something I I fell into out of convenience, if I'm completely honest with you. Right. Um, in an industry where, uh, in an industry that struggles first whenever there's an economic downfall, or one of the first, um, one must expand their portfolio. And I certainly couldn't afford in my humble beginnings to uh, pay someone to build my website for me or to um, uh, provide three-dimensional graphic design for um, the buildings that I was drawing up in two dimensions in AutoCAD. So I taught myself. Um, I, and of course, I, I don't claim in any way to be as proficient as someone who can utilize HTML fully. But I've come to enjoy uh, graphic design so very much that we are now providing uh, graphic design as an outsource to other practices who don't have their own in-house team or perhaps like realtors and, and, and large commercial leasers uh, who have a space that might be dated, but they're using it, they're using graphic design to show what the potential of um, a commercial space might be or where a future development would be. Mm -hmm. um, in addition to that, if we're focusing on sustainability, graphic design is fantastic because it's simply you and your computer. Instead of uh, the olden days when I was doing undergraduate studies where you'd be building models quite a lot um, with your own two bare hands to get a three-dimensional idea of what you were creating. Uh, with that, you end up with quite a lot of waste and uh, in materials that are thrown out or that might not be recyclable. Uh, in addition to the embodied energy it simply took to get on your drafting table in the first place, all of those materials. Mm -hmm. So there is certainly a sustainable benefit as well as the initial uh, economic benefits to it. But now I just enjoy it and I enter graphic design competitions for fun now. Nice. You mentioned videos there. You've got some great uh, walkthrough videos of some of your architectural oh. designs. Thank you. Um, so I'll put some links so people can um, uh, check those out. Uh, do you find those useful as a – is it a marketing tool or is it is it a design tool? Well, it is both. Um, some of the videos that you'll find on uh, my YouTube page, those are for Second Eden Studio. And some of them have actually been done for third parties who don't have the skill set. Mm. So it, it's a fantastic opportunity for me to uh, advertise Second Eden Studio via another person as well. So if you look very carefully in all of our videos, or most of them, I should say, uh, especially those that are... Um, we've done for other people, you'll find the second Eden studio logo squeezed into a picture frame somewhere or in a small corner. Right. So you'll definitely see it in there if you're looking for it. Nice. Um, com changing tech completely. Uh, talk to us about shipping containers. Oh, I love shipping containers. I have quite a passion for them. I think it's probably very apparent. Um, we've got, uh, and I, I'm sure I'll send you some links when they're finally finished, but we're going to build one uh, in North Carolina and a, another one in South Carolina for a couple of entrepreneurial clients of mine who are also passionate. Um, it probably won't surprise you to learn that I was entirely enthusiastic about Legos as a child. Nice. And it's like grown up Legos for me. Yeah. <laughs> It's good fun. It's it's a lot less expensive to build and much faster, and good fun to put together in countless ways. What about um, moisture? Because uh, one of the 
um, concerns I've heard about shipping containers is it's a bit, you're essentially a big metal box. How do you avoid condensation uh, for a start? And also, aren't they kind of small? Well, they can be. Um, shipping containers come in so many different shapes and sizes, believe it or not. Um, you can, because it is a metal box, you can take out uh, one wall or part of a wall uh, onto two of them and put them together to make a larger space. Or uh, you could even create a house that is in a square with a courtyard in the middle if you really wanted to as well. The possibilities are completely endless. Um, condensation is, if you, if you, I always use, I'll start by saying, I always use pre-insulated, um, containers that have been used for shipping, uh, fridge or frozen foods. And so those, those heavily reply, rely upon, um, avoiding condensation at great economic cost <laughs> and food waste. So yeah. that resolves that issue for us immediately. Huh, uh, which is absolutely fantastic. And with incorporating um, any standard ventilation that one would possibly use uh, for a normal house, um, it's it's pretty it's pretty straightforward, actually. Yeah, right. It's not too bad. <laughs> that's a, that's an interesting point because I have spoken to other people who love shipping containers as well, and typically they'll gut them and then line them with more traditional insulation and um, gypsum board or, or something on the inside, but you get around that by just using refrigerated containers. That's right. Um, we use the refrigerated containers for which we put um, wood battens um, into the insulation, which is reasonably solid in and of itself mm. with some tacking at the ceiling and at the floor. Um, then we're able to add our gypsum board from there. And in order to make it possible for people or the, the occupants to hang pictures, um, I usually recommend strongly uh, putting up a picture rail rather than drilling holes into the walls so that you don't disrupt all that lovely insulation. And that's a great idea regardless of, of, of how you're building. If you're going to a lot of effort to making a, a good thermal envelope and hopefully an airtight envelope as well, having something like a, a picture rail totally makes sense. Have Which is more common in um, colonial areas and in England. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, not utilized very much in the south where I live. Uh, but it's it's fantastic for interior designers too. They never complain about having a picture rail because they change their mind so much. <laughs> nice. Um, have you got, have you got some success stories from shipping containers? Uh, are there any that are made and being lived in? Um, no, my success stories will be coming with these two projects. Um, some of the shipping containers you've seen are uh, projects that unfortunately fell through for various economic reasons on the uh, clients' parts, and yeah. sometimes some of them were experiments on my part to see what could be done. Uh, fortunately, as I was able to put them into videos, that's where we're building up um, a client base for shipping containers. So give us six months, and we'll have something fun to show you. Yeah. So. But they're they're in progress. They're on there are um, they are they're on the drafting happening. table. Awesome. Hey, um, you mentioned some uh, some a few concepts early on, but I just want to uh, finish off with some top tips. Really, if if someone's looking at doing a renovation, remodeling an existing home, or or building a new home from scratch, 
what what are the sort of top three things that you would suggest that they do? Certainly improve your envelope, uh, first and foremost. Um, speak with experts um, who are not uh, biased, third-party experts, about improving your technologies so that they're energy efficient and most suitable for your house and will get you fantastic grant money. And, of course, the third and last thing is uh, – Make it something you love. Uh, don't compromise what you think is most sustainable for a space that you'll absolutely hate. Otherwise, you'll end up redoing it in the first in in the end. Yeah. You'll you'll be bored and sick to death of it. So make sure you love it. Um, really investigate and research all of your options and go sustainable and reuse wherever possible. There's so many fantastic refurbish and restore type places that um, you you. You can build a brand new house out of completely refound things. Nice. And I guess just picking up on that last point, making something you love, the challenge there for a lot of people, I think, is knowing what they will love uh, and knowing what they they value as opposed to what the market's telling them they should value. Whenever I do an interior design job, um, and you're absolutely right, people are afraid if this is what they really love or if they're giving into a trend or, or, or any other reason, I always encourage them to venture into their closet. Um, your closet will uh, show you what your favorite colors are because you pick the, pick up a shirt without even thinking about it. I absolutely love this. But if you really examine the shirt and several of your other favorite shirts, they might have a color pattern in, in common. Um, also, it might have a style that's maybe more modern or traditional. Uh, that will help you lean in one direction or the other or countless other directions. And furthermore, when you go shopping for something, if you absolutely love it um, and it's within your economic grasp, get it. You, you will find a way to incorporate it into your house and before you know it, everything will be eclectic or match anyhow. So um, follow your instincts. That's a great tip. I I love, I've I've spoken to other architects who have said something similar to think laterally about what colors and textures and forms, even what kind of cars you like, because that can inform the sorts of shapes and and style and sense of quality that that appeals to you or practicality, whether it's uh, whatever it is. Um, Your second point there, I just want to... they're third-party experts. Have you got any resources or recommendations for people to go to get some of that independent information? Well, in the United States, a lot of uh, uh, people um, turn to HGTV. Yep. Um, I, I'm not always a fan of what people do on HGTV, but it's a good – but the television shows – um, that features some sort of design aspect are always a great place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of my absolute favorite places to go for inspiration or a launch point um, to help you start your research so that you're not overwhelmed is Pinterest. Nice. Now, I have many clients who will create a Pinterest folder for me. They'll share it with me, and then that becomes our launch point. Even if they show me uh, a chair that they really like, I can get an idea of their sense of style. Um, If you create any type of board or a number of boards with um, inspirations, that's a great point to start from. And then you can begin to do some heavier research there, whether it be – private institutions or university research you, you that's a great point to start just looking at stuff you like 
What about house? Do you use house? I'm sorry, what is it? House. Oh, H A U S, the German. Uh, uh, no, company? the, um, uh, I think H O U Z. I'm sorry, I don't think I know that one. <laughs> uh, well, I'll put some links up to that as well. As, uh, yes, but, please. But definitely Pinterest as well is, is a great resource for, um, for a diverse styles and just looking at different um, things that you're attracted to. I'm definitely going to check out House if you recommend it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, um, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time and um, and the work that you're doing as well. I think it's fantastic to have and um, that's the whole point of, of what I'm doing is, is trying to put the spotlight on people who are doing design with a sustainable bent to it and attracting people to them uh, for that reason. So thank you for all the great work you're doing. Um, thank you, Matthew, for all the work you're doing to shine a spotlight on sustainability. It's really pleasure. important. Where, where's the best place people can get in touch with you? It's best to email me at Elena at secondedenstudio.com or visit our website, www.secondedenstudio.com. Perfect. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you again, Matthew. Have a lovely afternoon. And that was Elena Michael there from Second Eden Studio coming to us from North Carolina. If you are in that area or just want to check out some of her uh, great resources and videos, particularly for shipping containers and some of the, the design work that uh, Elena has done, then head on over to homestylegreen.com forward slash 122. That's for episode 122. And I've got a whole bunch of links there. Otherwise, you can just go straight to the Second Eden, uh, Second Eden website, which is uh, secondedenstudio.com. Thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget to check out Proclimber. They are great supporters of the show and they will also help you get your building nice and airtight and very comfortable and healthy. So check them out, proclimber.com or proclimber.com.au or proclimber.co.nz. And also, if you do want some help with your project, then I'd love to hear from you. I've had a few people contact me recently, and it's uh, it's really exciting seeing what people are thinking about and uh, answering some few questions to give them some confidence and help, help make sure they're on the right track. Email me, matthew at homestylegreen.com. Thanks very much. Now go make a better place to live.